you and I, have, we've already talked a little bit about uh, this card this morning. I just want to encourage you uh, to partner uh, with your church family and uh, to take advantage of what's getting uh, ready to happen. Uh, first off, uh, Easter, we've got, I think, just an amazing uh, service going on. But here's what you need to hear from us, is that on that day, in the midst of you and I celebrating Easter and a risen Lord, uh, we're going to have a conversation uh, with everybody who comes in the room to explain to them who Jesus is and how he can change their lives. Uh, and, and here's why that is such a crucial thing, because you and I know that there are tons and tons and tons of people who only come to church on Christmas and Easter. And so we're going to, in the midst of that, take that opportunity. The gospel is going to be really clear, the story of Jesus and the opportunity to make a decision about who Jesus is is going to happen on that day. You've got friends, you've got neighbors, you've got people you know who need to have the opportunity to have that conversation. Easter is your chance. And then on the other side, uh, we've got Friend Day. So what we're going to do is right as we talk about Easter, the very while they're here, we're going to say, hey, guys, next week uh, we've got Tim Brown coming in the room. Uh, you're going to want to come and hear this guy. And uh, while Tim is here, we're going to simply ask him this question. Tim, why does a guy like you, a guy who's got all the things that we think we want, you've got success, you've got fame, you've got a whole bunch of money. Why does a guy like you need Jesus in his life? And again, we're going to have this opportunity to have this conversation about who Christ is and what he can do for you. And, you know, every uh, year, uh, one or two women come and say, well, you know, why a football person? You know, I, I don't care about football. I don't watch football. And ladies, that that is the best gift we can give you. Let me tell you why. Because every woman in this room knows a man who will not, will not, will not darken the doors of church. He wouldn't, he wouldn't come in this room to save his life. You've got an uncle. You've got a son. And there's just a chance. There's just a chance that if you went to that man to that guy and said, look, we got, we got all pro uh, Tim Brown, Heisman Trophy winner Tim Brown going to be in the room talking about football and life. There's just a chance that that guy would come sit in this room and have that conversation with us. Ladies, I'm just going to tell you, this is your best gift that we could ever give you. It's your chance to get him to come be in the room. So guys, here's the deal. Look, even if you're not a Raiders fan... Guys, I'm not a Raiders fan. I, I, every time I, I root for whoever's playing against the Raiders, okay? <laughs> Tim Brown's going to share who Jesus is. I want to bring my friends, okay? And I'm just inviting you to do the same. This isn't for us. This is for our friends. Matter of fact, one of the, the, the conversation uh, that we're having today and next Sunday is just this idea of just one. What if, what if, Every one of us just simply went to someone that we know in our life, somebody uh, who hasn't figured this whole Jesus thing out. What if, what if all 5,500 of us who call Cornerstone home, every man, woman, boy, and child, simply went and said, I'm just going to bring one. I'm just going to invite one to come and, and figure out this Jesus uh, that I know. We'd change Chandler if we did just one. As a matter of fact, uh, what we're going to talk about a little bit today is just this idea that says, for you and I to know what we know, 
about Jesus? I mean, for, for you and I to have experienced the change that comes from a personal relationship with him, for you and I to have our lives forever, forever, forever put on a different trajectory, and to not go back and tell our friends, to not go back and tell our family, to, to not go back and tell our neighbor what we have figured out, what, what has changed us forever, to not go back would simply be wrong of us. To know what we know and not go tell people who are dying to know what we know would be wrong. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles this morning. We want to talk about and take a look at a story of people who went back and what that meant, how that happened for them. And in the process, you and I, I hope, are going to be encouraged to go back. It's in uh, 2 Kings chapter 7. If you're not real familiar with your Bible this morning, if you go to the front, this is an Old Testament story, so you're going to go to the front of the Bible. You're going to work to the right. I'll give you a clue. Uh, it's right after 1 Kings. Years of seminary, guys, for that one. Okay. So uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 7. While you're going there, let me, let me set this uh, story up for us uh, just a little bit. Uh, there's been a famine in Israel and it's been going on now for several years, and uh, if that weren't bad enough, if, if the crops not growing and the rain not falling weren't enough of a calamity already, now the enemies of Israel have decided to take this moment, this moment, to invade. And uh, they've actually come into a region, an area called Samaria, and uh, they've now pitched battle against a city. Now, here's the interesting thing is that uh, in those days uh, when you built a city, you prepared for a moment like this, and you would surround the city with walls. And so the concept was is that if an enemy army comes, you just run onto the inside of the walls and you wait it out. Problem is, uh, armies then figured out the tactic, and they said, okay, this is easy. Here's what you do. You simply camp around the walls. You pitch your battle lines around, and then you starve them out. You can, you can beat a city without ever throwing a spear, without ever raising a sword. You simply just sit and wait, because they can't come out, they can't harvest any crops, and you wait for them to get hungry enough, and then they'll eventually surrender. This has been going on. And it's gotten so bad that people are looking for anything, anything to eat on the inside of the city. Matter of fact, the Bible describes and says a donkey's head was a premium meal. I mean, if you could just find anything with a little bit of meat on it, it was a premium meal. So bad, you ready for this one? That the Bible describes just before this story the king walking along the wall and a lady uh, from the city runs up to him and says, look, you've got to help me. And he says, well, what's going on? And she says, well, this neighbor of mine, she came to me yesterday, and she had a plan, and here's what she proposed. She said, look, today, uh, let's take your son and kill him, and we'll eat him. Tomorrow, we'll eat my son. And I agreed, and, and so we did, and we ate my child yesterday, and today, she hid her children. Now, what do I do? Now, if, if that's not bad enough... The story we're going to read is about people who actually have it worse off than the people inside the city. Here it is. It's 2 Kings chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. 
Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. So you get the moment. Uh, the people in the city in the midst of serving death say, look, we don't want any lepers in here, so you guys go sit outside. Truth is, the Arameans probably aren't going to bother you because who cares about lepers? So, go f- so they don't even have what little bit there is in the city to fend. They're sitting outside the city gate. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, we die. At dusk, so it gets to about evening time, Uh, At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left camp as it was, and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. It's an interesting story because uh, it's a story born in just a moment of absolute desperation for these guys. I mean, you got the moment, hey, if we stay here, we die. If we go back in the city, we die. If we go to the Arameans... We probably die. It's interesting because God often does His very best work in our moments of deepest desperation. Truth is, most of us, if we were to unpack our story of coming to discover and know God, chances are woven into the story is a moment of just absolute desperation. Our, our family was falling apart, and we just said, man, I, I, I'd try anything. Our finances had gone south, and we'd been laid off from the job, and we just this is bigger than me, and I can't handle this. We were struggling with an addiction. We just said, I, I, I will never conquer this. I will never get control of this in my life. And, and it was the very desperation of our lives. It was, it was the very cataclysmic moment that we were living in that drove us. Uh, to God. It, it's interesting that, that what on a human level very often we would be frustrated with or maybe even blame God for are sometimes God's best moments in our lives. That God is sometimes doing His very best work with us when He makes us desperate. So, 
in that moment, they, they decide. They decide to do what up until then had just been absolutely unthinkable. I mean, and, and so they say, what if? What, what if? what if we went to our enemies? And uh, what if in that moment uh, we just surrendered and see what happens? Which in many ways is a lot like you're in my journey, that, that you and I got to that moment where we just said, I... Life is harder than I expected, and it's turning out differently than I hoped. And I mean, what if, what if, what if God? And what, what? I mean, up until now, my answer has been, no, 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 no. I ain't one of them, and I'm not going to do that. And 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 church and all this Jesus stuff. That's for all the weak people in the world who need. Yeah. But in that moment, you and I said, what if? We went to church, and we heard a message. And here was the incredible thing that we discovered in that moment, is that it wasn't about religion and being religious. It was, it was instead about a relationship. And, and, and it wasn't about how many rules that you and I obeyed, and it wasn't about rituals that we did. And, and guys, and more important maybe, it wasn't about being religious. You know the hardest people in the world to convince that they need Jesus in their lives are religious people who use his name all the time because they're just so convinced that doing religious things somehow makes you a Christian, as if barking would make you a dog. And, and we just discovered this, this, is, this, is, this isn't about what I do it's about what was done. Isn't it interesting, as, as we read the story, these, these four lepers get to the camp. They have to do nothing. God's already done it. All they've got to do is go pick up all the stuff that's left. Which isn't that exactly what you and I discovered when we got to the cross. That Jesus had already done it. And that all you and I had to do was say, thank you and pick it up. The other thing we discovered, this is real. This, 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 this thing of knowing Jesus, and this isn't a self-help book. This isn't, this isn't just kind of the, the newest P90X. It's just, it's just not. This is, this is real, because we came in, and, and, our, and our marriages were struggling, and it was done. And, and then we heard, hey, Submit to one another. Stop, stop trying to make your wife the wife you want her to be. Stop trying to make your husband the husband. Instead, do this. Submit. And you, you be the wife your husband needs. Husbands, you be the husband your wife always hoped. And we did it, and suddenly our marriages were changed, and they were, began to be healed some of us came with financial difficulty, and our, our finances were just in chaos, and, and we, you know, we had to take some personal responsibility and, you know, stop charging the charge cards, and in the midst of it, just about the time we thought we were seeing a little light at the end of the tunnel, then some guy opened up his Bible and said, oh, yeah, you're supposed to tithe, and we went, oh, my goodness, and, and we did, and suddenly, man, our tires were lasting longer, and Somehow bills were getting paid, and we, we couldn't explain it. We just, we just knew, here's the thing. God blesses. 
and it's real. Some of us came in the room and we were, we were dating some of we had no business dating and we knew we knew we needed to break up and it was terrifying and somehow we found a way to say the words and we thought we were going to be alone and suddenly God brought the person and we just said this is this is incredible I mean this is it is so real See, here's, here's the thing you and I got to be careful of, is that, is that in this moment of discovering Jesus and having him change our lives, that we, we don't do instinctually what these guys did right out of the chute, that, that, that we don't respond in that moment and just go, okay, so this is, very, this, this is cool, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's all for me. Matter of fact, go back to the passage, uh, to verse 8. Look what these guys do when they first discover the Aramean camp, and all the riches and all the food. And here's, here it is, verse 8. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, and they entered one of the tents, and they ate and they drank, and they carried away silver and golden cloths and went off and hit them. So catch, catch the moment. Here they are. They get there and they go, this is, this is cool. We're going to party like rock stars. And so they're, they're eating all they can eat, and then they go, we, we got to hide some. So they go in the tent, and they, you know, you imagine they grabbed rugs or whatever they had to, and now they're piling it up. And now they're taking as much as they can possibly carry, and they're, and they're finding a rock somewhere, or they're finding a tree somewhere, and they're burying it. So no one else can have it. And then they go back, and they go, there's, there's like tons more. And so then that now they're grabbing, and they're piling again, and now they're taking the second load out, and they're digging holes and putting it in. Because their instinctual response was, this is me, and, and it's all mine, and, and, and no one else gets any. And if you and I are not careful, in the midst of Jesus changing us and in the midst of our lives being forever different, we'll go, this is for me, and it's all mine. Guys, you, you and I know churches that, that just basically hunker down and say, look, uh, this is all about Christians and this is all about us and we're just going to have our own little Bible study over here and we're, we're just going to do church for ourselves and the way we like it. And It's mine. Something changes. There's, there's a moment in this in which they... Everything switches for them. It's verse 9. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This, this is a day of good news. Ever heard that phrase before? Good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. What, what, what all of a sudden clicked? What, what all of a sudden happened? You know, someone, someone in the group said, oh my goodness, 
There's, there is so much stuff here. There's so much food. We can never eat all this. It will rot. And I've got a sister. I've I got a sister a quarter mile away back in the city starving to death. I can't go, not go back and tell her. I got a neighbor. I got a neighbor, and okay, I keep talking to him about the fact that his camel's pooping in my yard, but I can't let him die when this is here. We, we've got to go back. And interesting, he says, we, we can't be quiet about this. We can't, we can't go silent on this because here's the deal. People are dying to know what we know. If you're a follower of Christ, if, if you've figured this out and it's already landed in your heart, people are dying. And I don't just mean figuratively. I don't mean allegorically. People are eternally missing God. Because they don't know what you know. Because guys, let's just be honest. What you and I discovered, what you and I found, we, we didn't get this from Buddhism. We, we didn't get this from Mormonism. We got this from Jesus Christ. <laughs> the one way in which humans make contact with God and you and I have figured that out. That has landed in our hearts and it's landed in our lives. And people are going into eternity missing God, missing heaven because they don't know what you know. And to not go back to my friend, to not sit down with my uncle, to not lean over to the coworker in the next cubicle. It'd be wrong. Matter of fact, and just in case you think, well, Lynn, maybe you're being a little too heavy on this, here's what Jesus said, okay? You don't have to go there. It's John chapter 14, uh, verse 6. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one no one comes to the Father except by me. To know what you and I know about eternity and not go back, it'd be wrong. There's, there's a second phrase there. Let's go back to verse 9. It says, and then they said to each other, we're, we're not doing the right thing. This is a day of good news, and, and we're keeping quiet. We're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait, if we pause, punishment will overtake us. I mean, guys, it's nighttime. I mean, by the time they've already gone to the tent and dug a few holes, and done the, I mean, it's the middle of the night. Morning would be much more convenient. And these guys go, if, if we wait till morning, do you realize people could die while we're waiting? And at the very least, are you ready for this? At the very least, people will suffer while we're waiting. Yeah. 
you get that this is not only a conversation about eternity, it's a conversation about the here and now. That you and I have all sorts of relatives, all sorts of friends living crummy lives. Starving lives. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, look, you know, maybe, maybe the next promotion. Maybe, maybe one more drink. Maybe one more kid. Maybe the next marriage. Maybe the next affair. And you and I know that's not the answer. And, and they, they are literally in the midst of struggling because they don't know what you know. And for you and I to run silent, for you and I to wait, it'd be wrong. We gave you these cards because you're at a church that says, look, we want to partner with you as you do this. We want to be in this as you do. And here's what we've discovered. The number one way for people to come to know Jesus is in a corporate setting. It's sitting in the purple chairs. It's having the conversation. It's the best way. It's the most effective way. And so we've simply tried to say, look, here, here's a, a way for you and I to partner together to bring friends in the room for the conversation. Here's the interesting thing. Guys, you realize every Sunday is a good Sunday to bring a friend. That, that with intentionality, your church has just said, look, we're going to make this a place where people who haven't figured out Jesus yet, who are still far from God, can come in the room and can be okay. It's why we play the music that we play. Uh, it's why I have the types of conversations that we have on Sunday. It's why we spend time and I go, look, if you don't know where that is in your Bible then go to the front and turn to the right because people who don't know Jesus yet and baby Christians don't know where to find things in their Bible. Every once in a while you'll have somebody who goes, oh, you know, Cornerstone, you guys are just a seeker church. You realize that that's an attitude of mine. See, what you're assuming in that moment is there's not enough food to go around and if we actually invited people who hadn't come to the party yet, that somehow we'd all run short. Fine. How, how, many, how many of you invite people to your house for Thanksgiving? Okay, about four or five of us. The rest of us are jerks, but that's okay. All right. All right, so, so let, me, let me tell you this. At the winner's household, there's just a standing policy. We're going to, at Thanksgiving, we invite everybody we can. We invite college students who have moved to the area, don't have family to go to. We invite people who maybe are, are recent to Chandler and, and they just don't have all their families back in the Midwest somewhere. We just look for people who don't have a place to go on Thanksgiving and we just say, look, come on, the more the merrier. And we already know going in, we're just going to make food till it comes out of our ears. I and mean, we're just going to, everywhere are going to be piles of food because we just expect everybody in our family to invite somebody else to come. And you don't even have to tell us that they're coming. You just walk in and go, hey. This is the bomb I found on the street. Yeah, you know, and you do it. That's Thanksgiving at the winner's house. Now, here's the thing. Because it's Thanksgiving, because we brought in a whole bunch of guests, here's what we do at, at the beginning of Thanksgiving meal. We go, look, here's, here's the thing. There's too many of us in the room, so the cups are over there. They're in that cupboard. We're not going to get you the cups, but help yourself. You know, the bathroom's down the hall. Hang a right. Uh, you get to the bathroom. Matter of fact, just make yourself absolutely at home. You can do anything, touch anything, except the remote. 
okay? Your family now. You get that every Sunday at Cornerstone? We know you're here. We know you're new. There's the cups. Here's how you find your place in the Bible. And guys, here's the, here's the thing. At Thanksgiving, does everybody that's actually in the family still get full? See, I don't know about you. My family sits around Thanksgiving going, oh, I ate too much. And guys, that's what we do every single Sunday around here. So we go, look, look, we're going we're gonna to get Bible out there. You, you, if you're a longtime follower, you're still going to get a full meal. We're just going to let guests come have Thanksgiving with us every Sunday. It's what you and I do. So here's, here's what we're asking, is we're simply in this moment saying this. For you and I to know what you and I know and to not go back. To friends, to uncles and aunts and neighbors, to know what we know and not go back would be wrong. So would you? Would you go back for at least one? Just one. There's a video I want to share with you for, for a moment. It, it's actually done by a secular group, so I, I probably don't even understand totally the concept that you and I are talking about today, but the interesting part of the uh, video is that there's a guy who gets saved. And in the process of being rescued, uh, he begins to realize that everybody around him has like a clock over their head that's ticking down. They're, they're all moving a little bit closer to death. And he begins to come to the conclusion that says, boy, if I just got rescued, if I got saved, then, then I should do the same for somebody else. And the interesting part about the video is it's called Saving Me. And, and I just didn't think there was any more powerful way to kind of land this conversation we're having. So here's the video.